another episode of the Main Dish Podcast. I'm Miley. And I'm Mandy. And we are delighted to have you with us this week. Yeah, new word. <laughs> new word. It just came out of the I thin air like, around what us. What word is she going to be today? <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome back to those who've been following us and welcome to those who are new to us. How are you and what's new and good with you, Mandy? I am fantastic. So it's the 4th of July. Ooh, 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 yeah. You all are hearing this on the 5th of July. So I hope you had a fabulous 4th. I hope you got a little rest and relaxation. And if you needed some recovery or whatever you needed, I hope you got it this weekend. Um, I certainly have. And I'm ready to sort of close off my long weekend with a bit of partying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm super ready for the pool right now. But um, I'm really excited because this uh, Tuesday, if y'all are listening to this Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday the 6th, the Suns, game one of the NBA freaking finals. Yeah. Tuesday, I'm really excited because the 6th, the NBA finals start and the Suns are going up against the Milwaukee Bucks, who just finished the Eastern Conference finals. The Suns have had a few days to rest. I'm really excited. I think Chris Paul probably needed a little rest. Um, it's not a basketball podcast, so I'm not going to get crazy <laughs> into it, but I, uh, I'm really excited because this is huge for the Phoenix. We haven't been to the finals in like, I think 20 years or something. I think it's been, it's been a really long Since time. Since 1983. The finals? Are you just making that shit up? I believe that's what I read somewhere on an Instagram post. Okay, maybe. Because I remember thinking, oh, that was before I was born. <laughs> Whoa. It's been a long time, so me. I was or maybe it was 1993. I was thinking like two early 2000s, but that could have just been the Western Conference Finals that I the stat that I looked at. But it has been a long time coming, and it is very exciting for this town. Who uh, we're just due, we're just due to win one. So fuck, yeah, fuck the Bucks. Wait, that's oh, that's I like that though. That's <laughs> some fuck the Bucks and uh, go Suns. Yeah, suck it, Bucks. We'll go with that. I mean, that's a little more PG. <laughs> 13. <laughs> um, I'm super excited anyways. And oh, I have a show alert. Okay. Like a show I'm ready alert. for it. Netflix has a new show. It's, I, I believe I saw it was based on a book or a series of books. Um, it's called Sex Life. Sex Life. And it is. About. Wow. It is a woman who is married, lives in the country, in Connecticut, and she is married to the super hot husband, has these two gorgeous kids, like small kids, a baby, and then a toddler. And But she had this wild nightlife living in New York City leading up to meeting this super hot, handsome, sweetheart husband. of a guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she, like, basically the show starts and she's kind of like, it's almost like midlife crisis Like, she's just having this moment like, oh, my God, is this my life? Mm. And so she kind of like, it's like her writing her journal. Oh. And she talks about this one guy that she can't seem to get out of her head that was just like crazy awesome sex. I mean, she talks about a bunch of sex. but And so it flashes back a lot. But there's this one guy who was like a very tumultuous relationship with all this crazy sex. And she can't kind of get it out of her head. And there's like flashbacks. And I mean, the show is mm, hot. Okay. And then it's like lame sex with her husband. And he's like watching the game. I mean, it's just like some of this like very mm. stereotypical yeah. kind of married stuff you yeah. hear about but like 
I don't know. It, it's it's really good. I don't want to give a lot away. I've only watched two episodes. I think there's only eight total, but they're about 45 minutes. Is it a limited series or is the intention for multiple series I or seasons? I think this is it because it was oh. based on a book. So okay. I haven't hmm. done any research yet to see if there are more books, but it's based on a book. So I think eight and done. Oh, uh, okay. But cool. Ooh, girl, let's okay. see. I'll check it out. Mm. The thing is, I'm really afraid to start things because once I start it, I like binge it until it's done. It's only eight episodes. I know, but I won't. I have a flight tomorrow. I can't be watching tonight, so I'll have to watch it tomorrow. And if I come in late to work tomorrow or on Tuesday, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Start it. Yeah, start it after your flight. Maybe just give yourself like a two episode limit. No, I I don't do limits like that. It it doesn't. mm. Like it's yeah. It's very hard. I, mean, I it's very hard to discipline. Like I, uh, yeah. When it comes to TV, like TV shows that are really good, I'm not disciplined at like, all. If you're missing the steamy Bridgerton stuff, mm, okay. This is more fun. And like I sort of, I was reminiscing a little bit on like my crazy club and party days. Although I wasn't having sex in the club bathrooms, but like, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but like I was just sort of reminiscing on like those oh, okay. wild and okay. fun days of clubbing. Like she is. Doesn't mean so. that they're old. We can, I mean, we could, it's a possibility again. We No, can, those days are done. No? Oh, okay. I never had those days. Uh, I mean, either. if you want to go, I no. will rally. <laughs> I'm okay. But I am not <laughs> leading the charge on that again. As a general rule, I'm like, God, why is it so loud in here? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, if that bitch steps on my toe one more time, I'm going to ruin her credit score. That's what's going on. Like, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm not I I was never really into that. And so, like, I was like, I can't relate to people when they share those stories with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's never. more drinks spilled on, almost probably as many drinks spilled on me as I've had, like, bought for me and, like, toes stepped on. And, I mean, just, like, it's so, it's its own little world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's a fun show if you you have. I will try it out. Yeah. I say give it Thank a you. You're welcome. What about you? Did you fly today? Uh, I did fly today and I learned something new. We practice steep turns. Oh. Steep turns are where you turn the plane 45 degrees mm. while you're turning and then you turn in a full 360 degree circle. And uh, wow, Thank being you 45 for degrees. Us how to, many degrees are in a circle? Well, no, like I, I don't. I, <laughs> Is it because like when you turn in the air, all the other turns I've done, it's like 90 degree turns or 180 degree turns. So like this is new and specific. Like when I do the steep turns, the purpose is for me to do 360 degrees. Whereas when I do other turns, like a shallow turn, which is 15 degrees or maybe that's 10 degrees. I should really practice what my angles are. I got to review that mental note. But when I do shallow turns or medium turns, yeah. uh, I need to, there's a, you know, I only turn a certain degrees. That's why I specifically say 360 because for the steep turns, I'm turning 360 degrees versus when I'm doing a shallow turn, I'm really just turning, you know, 10 degrees or 15 degrees or, you know, uh, and or, or whatnot. So yeah, you're just like making a turn. Correct. Whereas yeah. this is just doing Specifically. A yeah. Um, this makes me think the 45 degree angle makes mm-hmm. me think of the time we were in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're about to say. Miley was passed out on the plane. It was like a 12 seater, two engine, little private plane. And we made a really sharp turn and it was like probably pretty close to a 45 degree angle. I mean, we were all like, whoo, you know, I mean, and it happened to be against like in the direction of the window that you were against. <laughs> so you were just like plastered up against this little plane window. 
asleep dead oh to the world gosh. it was so fucking cold in that plane because again alaska yeah in like i mean it was cold it was zero degrees where we left and i mean oh it was so funny and then the plane righted itself or the pilot righted the plane and all of a sudden and like i looked i'm like she's still asleep <laughs> and whoever was sitting across the afternoon was like yep <laughs> <laughs> i'm a deep sleeper like, man yeah eyes roll back in her head just like out so what happens is during that time that was a really stressful time (laughs) in my life and i developed hyperthyroidism and i would get motion sick and so i was i was whenever i get motion sick and i remember i'd be on road trips with people and i would just pass out because when i get motion sick i fall asleep my body just shuts down motion sickness what do you think that is do you have a <laughs> defensive mechanism towards motion sickness yeah, you're like playing possum <laughs> motion sickness is like i'm gonna vomit like my head is spinning yeah like, no and the thing is like i i do get nauseating. nauseous i get nauseous and then my body just shuts down <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard anything like this. um i'm uh, i'm weird there has anything <laughs> I've never heard anything like that before, but it was very entertaining that you were just like asleep with your face, like glued to the window of the plane because it was laying on its side. It was, it was so funny. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, so learn that. So that's new. And, um, anything new on the agenda for tomorrow or like tomorrow, um, I'm going to continue working on my power off power on stalls, which is where the engine, you know, cuts out and or full full power and the engine fall and the plane is falling and then just uh i have i think i have like three or four more maneuvers that i need to learn and then i can solo so the new uh, the new milestone we're working towards is soloing and i think the goal is a solo by the end of july hopefully i'm officially at 27 hours um if i don't count my hour and a half of 2020 yeah. doesn't really count because it wasn't continuous learning. Sure. So 27, 26 hours ish. And then uh, hopefully I will solo before July, the end of July. Or by the 1st of August. Or by your birthday. birthday. I doubt it. real soon. I know. It's, yeah, no. I mean, y'all are listening to this mm. on the 5th. It's 10 days from now. Yeah. So. yeah I won't solo by your yeah, birthday. Was your, yeah. So I'm hoping <laughs> to <laughs> solo by August 1st. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Before mm-hmm. Vegas. Before Vegas. Oh, yes, Vegas. I'm very excited. I'm excited. I am excited. Cool beans. All right, we have a fantastic episode for you all today. Yeah, it's uh, it's with uh, one of my good friends, Tori Taj, from Child Crisis Arizona. Yes. And uh, she'll be talking about some of the services that Child Crisis Arizona does and uh, addressing some of the issues that Arizona is facing in regards to um, children and education. As well as what inspired her and her passion to stay in this line of work, which can be tough, but is incredibly rewarding. It's, it's a really good listen. Yeah, it was a really heartwarming listen, too. Yeah. I think that it was very authentic and very just um, genuine and how she brings us into like her personal reasons for, sta- you know, she started in 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 this a uh, long time ago, like early on in her her life. And she's just continued the work. And so, yeah, yeah. we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, Tori, for joining us. Tori Taj is joining our podcast today. She is the CEO of Child Crisis Arizona. Welcome to the show, Tori. Hi, Tori. Thank you. I uh, love M&Ms, and so it's great to be here, (laughs) Miley and Mandy. So we are just going to 
be talking about all things M today and happy to see your smiling faces and um, your matching look <laughs> today. Um, I, this is just going to be a great hour to hour and a half. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Uh, so I know Tori or Tori and I know each other from Valley Leadership, which is a program here in Arizona that uh, brings together a people from biz different business sectors, actually, and uh, all sorts of businesses. And we come together and we learn about the major issues that are happening in Arizona. And uh, one of the issues that we spent learning in the program was about um, some of the, the issues surrounding children and education in Arizona. And, and that's why, you know, one of the things that we wanted to kind of pick Tori's brain about is giving us a little bit more information about... Um, some of the issues that are surrounding children in general when, when it comes to their health and education and access to whatever resources they need. Um, but Tori, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first? You bet. So uh, starting with M, I'm a mom of three. Yay. And uh, I have a 24-year-old and I have a 20-year-old and I have an 18-year-old. And um, they have been a huge part of my life, obviously, for 24 years. And um, I um, find myself um, knowing that I was supposed to be a mom. Never really, up until it was time to have children, never really knew that I really would love being a mom so much. Um, so that has been a huge journey for me in um, parenting and being a mom. But then um, in addition to my three children that I have um, on my, you know, with my ex-husband and their father, I feel that I um, also love to mentor. Um, that's another M word. And it brings me great joy to be a mentor to others. And I do that through, um, through work and through leading others. I feel like it's my job to coach and mentor. And so that's really um, been a huge part of what I've done for 30 years since I graduated from ASU is be a mentor. And um, so I look at the different relationships that I have had and my friendships and my leadership. It's all about uh, mentoring others and learning. And um, also a little bit more about me. Um, well, you heard I'm almost an empty nester. Yeah. Uh, my youngest yeah. just graduated from high school last week. And so I'm kind of on this. Yes, thank you. I'm kind of on this. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a CEO. I'm a mom, but my mom duties are really shifting. And as my daughter gets ready to leave the house and go to college um, in you know, August, uh, I think it's really looking at, you know, what's next for me? I'm going to continue to be a mom and continue to be a CEO, but it's a time in my life where I'm going to be able to really look at uh, what I get to do um, in addition to those other great things that I've been doing for the last 30 years. So I think travel and, um, you know, learning some new skills is going to be on my list and that's a little bit about me. And I have a dog. His name is Lucky. And um, there we go. That's awesome. You said, okay, so your mom, your day-to-day -day mom duties are going to shift, right? They're going to change. Like those day-to-day hands-on things are definitely going to change. But you said 30 years since you graduated ASU. And I know people listening can't see you, but like, did you graduate as like a child prodigy? Because that does <laughs> uh, not look possible. 
it'll be 30 years. Um, yeah, coming <laughs> up in December. And so it's crazy because wow. I have been working in the nonprofit you know, arena in this um, you know, social impact area uh, for over 30 years because I volunteered my senior year at ASU at a nonprofit and that's what I've done ever since. And so, that's yeah, wonderful. 30 years. Wow. I have a friend, sorry, I have a friend that we're going to actually interview later today as well. And she's in a similar, she worked for the crisis nursery. Am I getting that right? Well, that is Child Crisis Arizona. Child Crisis Arizona is um, a merger. So just how businesses merge in the for-profit sector, nonprofits merge also. And very similar. So you might have two smaller nonprofits that do similar type um services or programs and maybe they have programs that aren't similar and you merge them together into one what we call 501c3 um the you know tax id number for the irs Mm -hmm. and you move them together because just like in the for-profit world or in corporate america there are so many efficiencies and there's Mm -hmm. one board and there's one ceo and there's one cfo and you can really be stronger as a business as a nonprofit um, and have a bigger footprint when you scale your services. So your friend worked at one of the two entities that merged to make Child Crisis Arizona. That's awesome. Oh, wow. okay. I was wondering if they were connected because the the mission and like the things you do are so similar. It was um, it's Irene Augustin. I don't know if you remember her or knew her when she worked there. It's probably been 10 years. Right. Um, so I was brought in to be the new CEO once the Crisis Nursery and Child Crisis Center merged together. Cool. And so the board, um, the two boards of directors had gone through this merger process and they uh, brought the two entities together. And it was time for um, the two um, executive directors because they were smaller nonprofits. And then when you merged together, they said, you know, we need a CEO. And here I am, uh, five and a half years later. That's awesome. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about the merger and a little bit about maybe both of those entities merging into one and now how, you know, where you've come in the last five and a half years with Crisis, Child Crisis Center or Child Crisis Crisis Arizona? Arizona. (laughs) There's so many crisis, nursery, crisis, child, a lot of words. So many children to help. There are so many children to help. And I think that's the whole point. Um, And when you're a stronger agency that's larger, you're able to have a greater impact. And you're able to have that infrastructure that's really needed in nonprofits in order to be successful. Nothing wrong with small nonprofits that are very volunteer driven. But if you truly want to have impact and be able to serve more and move the needle, on child abuse and neglect and healthy families. And the vision is simple. It's safe kids and strong families. Okay, so how can we do that? Yes, we need to do that crisis service that both organizations did so long. But how do we really move the needle with child abuse and neglect and to have safe kids and strong families? We can't just be reacting um, to the situation. And so I think what What the boards decided in 2015 is we no longer are just going to be an intervention service. Crisis is our middle name at Child Crisis Arizona. We are still always going to be looking at 
Um, how do we, how do we, you know, serve the people in crisis? That's an important thing, but what have we done since? And that's, um, you know, what made me so excited about the position. It was, you know, we're not just going to do crisis work. It's wonderful, but we're going to actually, you know, catch kids upstream is what we call it. And we are gonna do prevention work. And we are gonna to work towards keeping more children safe in a safe environment and teaching families um, the best parenting techniques that are out there. So how do we do that? And what have we done in you know, five and a half years? Well, we have um, provided, we serve now 250 children every single day in prevention or early education. And so what that means is we have children that get to come to our centers or we have staff that do home-based um, home um, early education and that's called Early Head Start. It's a federal program or we do preschool. And so we get to touch 250 children every single day by making sure that they're developmentally um, where they should be and they're not behind we get to go into their homes. So we're kind of social workers, but yet we're educators. And so we're educating not only the children, but the families. And we're helping those parents and we're providing free classes during the pandemic, everything's been online, but we're gonna go back to these in-person trainings where it's everything as simple as potty training basics or um, a, a safe space. What are normal, tantrums, what are normal behaviors that children uh, should experience, and how best can we parent children when they're having those big feelings. And so we're doing this prevention work, which has been really exciting, uh, all of this early education. And in addition, we get to teach families and equip them with the tools needed to be parents. So maybe it's um, individuals who have no children, maybe it's individuals that already have children, but we're really working on the prevention of child abuse and neglect, which is truly, um, you know, what an opportunity to be able to do that because nobody really likes to fund those kinds of programs. They want to help in the crisis. So those are some of the things we've been doing for the last five and a half years. I love that early work is so important. It's like, I mean, I was thinking about um, Miley here is a dentist. I was thinking you go in for your cleanings twice a year, right? So that you can get ahead of things like decay and problems. And I imagine a lot of the families and kids that you're working with and helping have generational trauma. And it's like they, the adults may not understand, like you said, how to parent in times of when a child has big emotions and has a lot of needs. Those parents, you know, there's a good chance they didn't learn how to handle that. They they weren't able to be handled when they were kids. And I just think that's really great. Like every, I read something where every time like somebody sort of starts to heal their generational trauma, it goes back seven generations and forward seven generations. And so true. So yeah. true. It's, it's generational poverty. It's generational abuse. And so we are reaching out to the, we, we know the children in shelter today, the children in our group homes today, their parents were in our shelters and their parents were in our group homes and their parents grew up in foster care. You look at the homeless shelters. I ran homeless shelters for many years and domestic violence shelters. 
a huge majority of everybody in the homeless shelters and the domestic violence shelters have grown up in the foster care system. And so for me, this job was like so meaningful for me because I've been doing this work for so long and 20, you know, four, 25 years of just doing this intervention work with homeless and people in crisis. I still want to help people in crisis. It's, it's meaningful work for me. It's important. It's consequential. But for me, I saw this opportunity with this group of individuals that said, we don't want status quo anymore for child crisis centers. We don't just want to do crisis. We want to look towards adoptions and our foster care program needs to grow. And we want to help these children that are aging out of the foster care system. And I um, and am able to do all that because right now um, you look at all the children who just this, it's a continuous vicious cycle and it's not their fault. And they're growing up in a system without the education needed and those connections that we also, you know, we all desire, but you don't know what you don't know when you're growing up in foster care. And so we need to, we need to switch that for, for them and especially for that next generation. Imagine so, going yeah. out into the world and having no community as no resources, no, no resources, not even knowing how to access resources or what you need to know. I mean, you have no family. Yeah. Like if you're 18 and you're aging out of foster care and you don't have a family unit to sort of rely on as you're trying to become an adult, how hard that would be. And I imagine Scary. you fall into yeah. really bad situations without help. For sure. It, you know, what's really exciting on July 1st, uh, Child Crisis Arizona. So we redefined what a child was. Oh. Really, when I started, it was the zero to 10 year old population. Um, but some people said, you know, you guys cherry pick those young ones. They're easy to, to take care of when they're a foster care system. And I said, I agree. I think that the more difficult um, situations are that when a child has been in foster care for a long time and look at these teens um, you know, children have, you know, their size behaviors and while, um, they're very serious and we want to, you know, help them when they're children, a child is, you know, I look at my children now, even my 24 year old, he's still my child and I still get to help and guide and support. And my 20 year old also, um, I get to help, uh, with tuition and provide that education and be that safety and that support system. And my 18 year old, I can't imagine saying goodbye, Sarah. Um, I've done my job here and you're on your own and go and try and navigate a degree and pay for a car and insurance. And I know that happens every single day. Mm -hmm. And so I felt this huge responsibility um, and this need to really redefine and relook at what the organization, who the organization was serving. And when you look at the children in the foster care system, Child Crisis Arizona, great name. Um, and you think of, you know, little children and that's who they were serving for 40 years. But I said, let's expand that. Uh, the true need in the system is for teens, it's for the older ones, and it's for the kids who are aging out. So between 16, if you haven't been adopted and your rights are severed and you're in foster care and there are still lots of issues, you are probably going to age out in the foster care system at 18. You don't trust adults anymore and you're going to have to go out and be on your own. 
So I said, let's look at that age group. And we had some wonderful board members who really agreed. And so as of July 1, we were going to now serve 50 children who are in that 16 to 21 age group. And they are in foster care and their case managers at um, the state are even saying, you know, it's very unlikely that you're going to go back to your parents, your biological parents. That's not a good choice or any relatives um, or probably won't be adopted. And it's really hard for 16 year olds to go and acclimate and for that family to understand 16 year olds who've grown up in a foster care system. So we, we're, uh, we have an independent living program and I'm just really excited that, that this is our next new program at Child Crisis Arizona. That's pretty awesome. I actually was, one of my questions I was saving for later was, you know, you had mentioned creating programs that, uh, like, you know, the early head start. So catching, you know, and, and helping families and children before there is a crisis, hopefully. But then how do you handle, like, the after the crisis, right? So, like, when I think of crisis, I think acute. Like, when it comes to medicine or dentistry, a patient will have pain and they come in and it's acute issue and I'm taking care of the emergency. But there's preventive things that we could do beforehand and then there's maintenance things that we can do afterwards to make sure that potentially we can prevent emergencies or acute things from happening again. And so I, one of my and questions like is... like your long-term restorative yeah. mm-hmm. plan, which is... Yeah, like and so it sounds to me sure. that you've transitioned from like an acute or like a hospital, you know, just because I'm a medical person, like, you know, hospitals treat acute situations. And so it tur- it seems like the evolution of, you know, the history of Child Crisis Arizona went from acute situations to now a spectrum of, you know, before, during crisis and after crisis. Right. I I think, um, you know, the word that we often use or it's used in behavioral health, it's continuum of care. Mm. We need to be there when they're babies. We need to be there throughout their formative years, zero to 18. And then we need to be there uh, when children are getting ready for adulthood at age 16 and then stay there until they're, you know, 22 years old and be able to support them all throughout. So the prevention, the intervention, and then kind of the long-term solution. Adoption is definitely a long-term healthy solution for many of these children. And then teaching these independent living skills because we know these children are going to be independent very fast. And so, you know, as much as we can connect with them and teach them how to navigate the different systems and then teach them how to be independent and the things you don't learn in high school, how to budget, the things you don't learn, how to be a parent, like how to communicate mandatory classes, right? Because most of us, have to run our own household at least so we need to learn how to budget and then being a parent yeah do you offer any services uh or do you plan on offering any services for like teaching the older children how to communicate interact i almost you know i think i was talking to a friend the other day and i was talking about how in high school I never got to take any communication classes where i learned how to you know negotiate in business or just how like build and maintain personal and professional relationships um, you know, like the relationship building skills that's all part of the independent um, life skills curriculum that we're going to do with the 16 to the mm-hmm. 21 year old 
but we have a teen group home, 10 teenage boys. Average age is 14. So these are 13, 14, 15 Gross. year old boys. <laughs> can you imagine running a household with 10 teenage boys, average age 14? How much cereal do you go through? They I'm can imagining each eat a the box. smell. Yeah. Oh, funny. Like they can each eat a box of cereal for breakfast. Oh, no for kidding. Sure. 10 boys. And so part of it is sharing a room, sharing bathrooms, um, and that whole communication about your dirty socks are stinking up the room and there's three or four of us in the room. And so those kind of things we address every single day. And okay, instead of flushing the socks down the toilet, what would have been a better option to let your roommate know that you don't appreciate the stinky socks? You know, yeah, I mean, Um, but yeah, it's definitely a big part of growing up. It's learning how to problem solve and then communicate appropriately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and reacting and, um, like you guys are, you know, not just in a reactive state, but like, yeah, teaching them those. And and I imagine they're getting like laundry and cooking and sort of like (laughs) keeping up a household type of basic living skill stuff. For sure. And so we've got, you know, different days and different children will have different days for laundry. It's just kind of like um, having a big family, I guess. If um, any of the listeners are from a big family, they're going to understand. There are certain days and your parents created schedules so that it's easier to know. And especially if you're sharing vehicles or, you know, laundry or TV shows or whatever it is, you have to be able to schedule and um, time management becomes yeah. so important when you're living with so many people. Yeah, and I also yeah. almost think like also like learning fairness, right? Like helping out pitching in, but also like learning fairness as well. And I, you know, I think back to like chores and like, okay, this week I'll take care of trash. Next week is this person's turn, you know, and we like rotating kind of like at work when you. It's so funny it, you yeah. say fairness, Mike, because I'm like, I don't believe in fairness. I just believe in like equity. I'm like carrying your weight type of person. Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. It's similar, it's similar. But sometimes I hear people go, that's not fair. And I'm like, stop your fucking whining. (laughs) Life isn't fair. (laughs) Life sucks, but deal with it. For sure. And, you know, with even my own children, um, I have, you know, two daughters. They're very different. And let's take Lucky, the dog, for example. Uh, The dog does his duty out in the lawn every single day, multiple times a day, and he needs to be walked every day. And so um, I, I tend to, um, I used to do the whole, no, we're going to share uh, the cleanup duty. And, you know, um, this daughter can do it these days and the other daughter, but really there's one daughter that would prefer to just do the cleanup duty versus spending the 15 minutes walking because she knows it's only going to take two minutes. And so they're okay with that arrangement. But I used to be, um, as I was you know, parenting, I used to feel that I had to know if Alex is going to be asked to do it, then Savannah and Sarah have to do the same thing. But today I'm very different and I've learned and grown in my parenting skills where I don't have to make it exactly the same. And it's really hard because typically with the last child, 
um, I'm much more lenient about things and I'm very different. And I made my first daughter wait to get her ears pierced at a certain age. But then with the second one, it was like a year before mm -hmm. that in age. And so things aren't fair, for sure they're not fair. And the way I was with my son, um, at first born, and he's 24, my other one's 18, I have totally shifted and um, it's not fair. Like my youngest daughter, there was something called Life 360. And on cell phones, they didn't have that or I didn't know about it when my son was in high school and he was driving and I'd be nervous at night. And so I'd be able to check and see the location of my daughter who is you know younger when she was driving I was able to do that with her when I didn't do it with my other one so, so she felt life's not fair because you're tracking me mom I said yes I am um or it would send me a message like okay Sarah left school and she's going home and I would be able to see that when she was a new driver where I didn't I didn't do that with my other kids but uh, I felt like I'm a better parent I love the chore division you talk about because it's also like playing to people's skill sets, right? Like that's kind of like, it's almost like a, a relationship skill set in my mind. It's like when you go into a household and maybe you get married and like one of you is better at balancing the checkbook and one of you is better at like keeping up on the laundry. It's like, I'm not going to balance a checkbook next week and you're going to balance it this week. Like I suck at it and you're great at it. Like you just take that. Okay, cool. What can I take? Like I like that sort of playing to people's skill sets. I think in a, in a, in a non indirect way, you're teaching them things like that. Like, it's like, you don't like doing this. Great. I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't be the one poop scooping. I'd be like, I'll walk all day long if I don't have to scoop shit in the backyard. <laughs> like, I'm so great with that. Like, so I like the whole kind of letting them sort it out and figuring out where they want to be. The, that 16 to 21 year, um, what did you call that program for those kids? Uh, independent living independent living i imagine that they're getting a lot of skills too that like that's a point when you're reaching them that they're gonna start breaking those cycles right or continuing and so it's just everything about you know we have to make sure and teach that you know buying fast food might be 99 cents but it is not a way to manage your health and it does take time to cook. And it does uh, require thinking in advance what you're gonna buy at the grocery store. And then whatever's in the refrigerator, you wanna use that up and not let it go bad. And so it's kind of creating that it's time management and that project management, mm -hmm. that skill set that you're teaching, even about grocery shopping and cooking and then utilizing the food uh, versus I'm hungry and this is going to take too long. So I'm just going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's me. One day a week, I like prep a bunch of food. So I have food ready for three days or so. Because if I don't and I come home and I'm starving, I just like eat whatever I can put my hands on. <laughs> and I end up eating like something either terrible or not super satisfying or whatever it is. Like, yeah, teaching and having like a few minutes to do something as simple, like you say, is like meal prep a few foods and have things ready to go. So when you're hungry, you can eat or have some things in the, you know, in the cupboards or the fridge or the pantry for backup and um, managing your time, super important. Like no one likes to be hungry, hangry. I mean, I imagine something like that. I mean, it is a skill set and something that you have to learn. And so learning it as early as possible is so helpful. Um, 
I don't think I learned about meal planning until I was like later in dental school, like after college, you know? So like the things like that, like little things like that, actually, well, they're not that little. They're, they're humongous and you can yeah. set the stage for a much more successful future with developing these skills and understanding at, at a younger age. And we also, I think maybe we had moms around more who were cooking batches of meals for yeah. us and we didn't have to think about it so much. And like I remember, yeah. I was married a million years ago and I remember I used to cook all the time, but that's because I had somebody kind of waiting on me to cook. And then when I was single, it was like, I don't need, there's no one expecting me to cook. Like, why do I need to cook? I'll have popcorn for dinner. It's totally fine. <laughs> and right. but like, yeah. But now it's like working a full-time day job, which I've worked full-time forever, but working a full-time job, running a side business and doing a podcast and just having a lot of extras. It's like, oh, I need to be much more intentional. Like I just discovered with all of these projects that like, I need to be much more intentional about my time and set myself up for success. Like failing to plan is planning to fail. I think many times I ask donors, you know, what is it? Why do you want to support this versus this or family education? You know, this free educational programming to teach, you know, all the techniques about parent-teen communication. Like, nobody wants to fund that. Gosh, it's so important, you know? Um, and I think that a lot of people still have the idea that that's the parent's job. Mm. That's somebody else's job. And we shouldn't be paying for it. But what you both talked about earlier, that generational cycle of abuse, of parenting a specific way, of poverty, of the way we eat, of our physical fitness. We learn, all the experts in the world agree that parenting is a learned behavior, okay? So parenting is learned and unless you see or learn a different way, you don't understand or even know. You might know right or wrong, but it's a learned behavior. And so when you look at funding for something like that and you feel like, no, my parents taught me, I'm teaching my kids and that's somebody else's job to teach them, but it's gonna hurt society. So we need to parent, we need to teach, we need to do that prevention work so that the next generation, you talked about equality and equity, uh, we, we want it to be fair. We are not all born into the same situation and that's, that's not a child's fault. And so we have to, as a community, um, really make up that difference and allow all children to have that same experience um, or at least try and provide that. So it's really hard to have funding for those prevention type things because I feel like people still think that if I take care of my kids, they should be taking care of their kids, or they just need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and do it. But if you're a 16 year old and you've grown up in a situation where you haven't learned, and then all of a sudden you're having children at age 18 or 19 or 20, and you still haven't had the opportunity to you know, learn those independent living skills that we've been talking about, um, you're destined for the same thing over and over and over. So, so it's about really got to get those donors excited to, uh, in my head, I was thinking you were going to say when they're helping out in crisis, they see the impact of their money right away. 
versus when they're helping out with prevention that's something they might not ever see so to speak they're not seeing what they're preventing because it's not happening which is a good thing so it's like a way of there's like got to be a way to get these donors excited about the reach of their dollars and and understanding yeah an ounce of prevention is a pound of i don't know whatever it's (laughs) right absolutely and they're out there and there are individuals out there that know that you know what i'm doing this for the next generation i may never see but you know what I know in my heart it's the right thing to do. And we have donors and supporters and a board of directors that say, yes, let's, let's do these programs because we know that, you know, years from now, it's going to make a huge difference. Right. And so we want to stop that cycle. And that's an intervention piece, but it's also preventing for the next generation. And I think if we all can think about it like that, I mean, think of our environment right? It's, you have to be in it for the long game. If you want to truly create impact in environmental causes or causes that are much bigger than ourselves, people want impact right now. And funders uh, require outputs. How many people did you serve? You know, Uh, you know, how many, what are the numbers? And, and so it's, it's harder to measure long-term impact. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to know that it's the right thing to do. Agreed. What was your, I'm, I'm curious, what was your inspiration with getting into this type of social work? Because you said you've been doing this since you were, I don't know. Since you volunteered in college. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, so when I, I have friends who are social workers and I know a lot of people in that field. And I'm just like, sometimes I look at them and I think, did you just think I'd love to sign up for a life of struggle with my job like because it's so hard and it can mentally so, physically emotionally yeah it can knock you it really seems like it's an industry that can knock you down like nobody listens nobody cares like yeah I'm curious so I you know what I was very fortunate I grew up in a middle class home in South Dakota and uh, we went to church every Sunday and um that's how I was raised. And in junior high, um, we had a junior high mission trip. And it was part of the service that we were expected to do. And I didn't think twice about it. It's just what you did. And so in addition to the bake sales and the um, book sales and all those things that you do at that age, I think that I had grown up with that mentality of this is just something that you do. And I had seen my grandmother, uh, she was a farmer, but just just really a kind person and was involved in a lot in the small town that she was in. And my own mom, um, she had worked um, and I'm sure it really influenced me as an educator. And then she worked at a place called Job Service. So helping people who were, the word back then was on welfare, mm. you know, get some skills and put them to work. And so I think I was, um, you know, molded into this um, person that I am today because of those experiences when I was younger. And like I said, middle class, there was always food. um, And I had opportunities for piano lessons and took dance classes. And with this service that really what you did is you did these service projects in the summer. Um, I went, I was 13, going to be 14. And a group of us 
we had this old school bus, um, no AC. We fundraised and we went from South Dakota, where I'm from, to New Mexico on a bus that broke down, by the way. And we did fundraising and we did this, it was a couple weeks service project, but we went on this bus trip and we had zero skills at that age, zero. And we were building stucco houses. And I get emotional. Um, These families that we were serving, they were so happy. And the children, they had dirt floors. And we had no business. Like, nothing was up to code. Um, We had no business doing roofing and then cement walkways and, like, these just building. But I truly realized, like, we are not all brought into this. Um, world equally. And the opportunities that I had, you know, having a piano in my house and playing the piano and doing dance classes. Um, And then I just saw this young mother with these children, not much older than I was living. And um, I I just said, you know, um, I, I felt really good about helping and that whole trip. And I learned so much and the bus broke down and we had to sleep in a church basement um, somewhere. It was like at the Continental Divide in um, Silverton, Colorado. And the community just came together and brought crock pots and, you know, sleeping bags and all these things. And it was just such a great trip. And I was just moved and influenced. And I I knew my why then Um, I needed to help others. And I wanted to do something with families and children. And it was just such a great opportunity for me that I think that was it. So I studied psychology. I thought maybe I could do business, which I'm a very great, I have a great business mind, but I was taking the business classes at um, ASU. And I was just like, you know, I need this connection. I need to feel good. And I love my psychology and sociology and So I'm like, you know, I'm changing my major. I can still have that great business sense. And I was really good with money. And that's, that's key. Mm -hmm. Um, Being really good with money. I was always taught to save, 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 save. And I worked from age 14 in South Dakota. That's when you get driver's license. Um, You or your permit at 14. And so far I had three different jobs and I've always worked really hard. And so I, changed my major to psychology and said, you know, I'm going to be in this field that some call nonprofits, but, you know, many of us call it a social impact. And that's what I know that I do. And um, it, I have a great job. I'm so lucky. I get to wake up every single day and do something that I love. Not many people can say that. Are there hard days? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Are there sad stories? Of course, but there are so many happy ones too. So I sleep well at night and um, it's, I know that I'm doing the right thing um, and I pick the right profession. The so that's is- how I think that's how it all happened. I love it. I love it. I think the world yeah. is so lucky to have you. For sure. For sure. Um, as we close out, I do want to ask, uh, you had mentioned earlier, you are entering a new phase in your life, over, especially over the next few months. And you had mentioned traveling and maybe maybe picking up some new skills. Can you be a little bit more specific about any thoughts you have had on that? Or is it still pretty broad? Where are you going? Yeah, where are you going? I or what kind travel. of skills are you hoping to learn? What, what's been floating around in your head? Okay, so I did a summer abroad in Spain 
right before I graduated college. Summer before my life. Learn Spanish. I, it was my minor in college, but you know, when you really go somewhere yeah. and you speak it. And I, I was made a conscious decision. Um, there was a group of us from ASU, and um, everyone wanted to just speak English, and they were complaining and blah blah blah. We don't like the food, and, blah, blah, blah. and I said, you know what? I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm going to like make the most of this. I am uh-huh, only uh-huh. going to speak you, Spanish unless I have yeah. to speak. You English. get what you put into. Right, and so I picked another gal um, on this trip and we both made a pact. We are going to speak Spanish as much as possible. This is really not about the grades for me. It's about the immersion and the experience. experience. And I want to go out for dinner every night and order mm-hmm. and then go out in the discotheques and, <laughs> and just have fun and do every weekend excursion. And so I did. And so I have had that travel bug since uh, <laughs> 1991 and you know, raising a family yeah. and having the having the uh, career that I've chosen, I haven't been able to do a lot abroad. But I know that that's definitely part of it um, by traveling abroad and then really refining. Um, I speak Spanish. We do some refugee shelters for the children who oh. are coming north from Central America. So I get to um, go and speak Spanish um, with those staff members who are bilingual and those children. But it's different. I want to go abroad again. So I think that travel will be happening. And then something, um, my hobby, um, when my second child was born, I really got into gardening during the, you know, four weeks I got to be at home and I've always done it since, but during the pandemic, um, I've been able to just truly be at home more than in the past. And I love to garden and I think that, um, and I love to walk. And so the Camino over, if you've heard of the Camino over in Portugal and Spain, I want to do a Camino. I want to do more visits to the most beautiful gardens in the world. And so that would be something I actually would love to have some kind of a sabbatical from the work I'm doing now to be able to bring it back. Um, And because I think that Growing things um, has been very, um, maybe therapeutic for me, um, just to, to, you know, work the ground and maybe it's my grandparents, they were farmers and my cousins and aunts and uncles, but I truly really love growing, not just people and children and staff and being a mentor, but growing things and having something that's alive. And being able to have, you know, my tomatoes that are very costly. It's way cheaper to just go buy the tomatoes um, <laughs> at the store. But having everything from mint for my water and, and growing a garden and then just flowers, I try and incorporate that um, in my work and having it around for the children to see and that they they are valued and they are, they are worth having live plants and flowers around and so I don't know I think there's something with gardening coming up I need to learn more about gardening or maybe I don't know I I grow grapes maybe I'll have a vineyard in my future or fruit orchard I don't know so gardening and farming and um I think I want to make an impact globally. I've done my work here and I still am committed here. We're right in the middle of a capital campaign 
So we're growing Child Crisis Arizona by leaps and bounds. But um, when this is done, um, I'm going to need to do something globally. And I'm not sure what that is. So travel, gardening, um, and some maybe global work that can affect more. Maybe it's something with water or the environment. I don't know. I'm totally imagining. I, I love the parallel between your gardening passion and what mm -hmm. you do for work. I mean, yeah. you're nurturing these little things from seedlings to grown to fruiting, right? Like that's total parallel to what you're doing in your day job. But like, I'm loving this as you retire. You talked about grapes. One of my things is to start wine making. Um, I'm, I'm picturing like you doing something where you sort of combine the two globally, like maybe young adults are learning skills on your, like internship type of stuff on a big farm for you or a vineyard. Mm -hmm. And that's where they learn some of those major yeah. life skills as I'm well. In, this. Yeah, this is, this is wonderful. It's been such a, uh, just a, a wonderful time spending with you learning about not just child crisis Arizona but just you in general Tori thank you so very much such a light mm -hmm. ah, a bright light with the world you. thank you well back at you ladies uh, you're a bright light and you're doing good in this world and um, I mean you're both very accomplished up early uh, baking <laughs> I, I can't even imagine it wasn't even 11 o'clock and you had done 10 10 dozen. Oh, She's yeah. a rock star. I was, yeah, I, I got up at like 7. What? I woke up around 7. At 7.15, I rolled out of bed, and then I immediately started baking. And I I was like, I'm going to bake all of this. I'm going to get a workout in, and I'm washing my hair today because it had been far too many days. And when the one batch went wrong, I redid it, and I made it happen. You yeah. just keep going. The show goes on. The show goes I on. I know. And Miley, for you, your singing, your smile, you're a bright light in this world. Mm -hmm. I just remember uh, that first weekend when we had our retreat. Uh or was it the retreat or just the first time we were all together, but you, you bring happiness to others. And I think that, um, you're, that is, that is your gift by being a bright shining, um, you know, you were singing a princess song. It was a song from frozen, I think. And I think that, you know, both of you are providing hope to others and by connecting people and, um, talking about happy things, um, and resources for others. I, I just, um, I'm so glad that you've done this and you've invited me to the show yeah. today. Thank you Thank so, you. so much, Tori. Uh, speaking of it, if, uh, if our listeners would like to get more information about you or Child Crisis Arizona, how can they get a hold of you or access to information? So the best way is just the website, uh, childcrisisaz.org. Um, I'm listed on there and I'm on LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, Book, you name it. We'll be sure to tag you on all of that. Fantastic. I don't know about Twitter. We have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. <laughs> have, Miley has no relationship with Twitter. Miley has zero no. relationship with Twitter. Don't let her say we. You are not part of this, this is a partnership. Yeah. Everything same. you go through, I go through with you. I have a hate, yeah. hate, 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 love, hate, 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 love relationship with Twitter. Like, I just, I can't. And we're also moving into the LinkedIn space as a podcast. We are as individuals, but we're moving in the LinkedIn space as a podcast as well. So um, we'll be sure to yeah. connect with you there. Mm -hmm, for sure. It's wonderful. And it, you know what? I, you know, my words of advice to both of you, keep doing what you love. It's so important. Like I truly said, I mean, I love what I do and you both love what you're doing right now. And I'm sure you love your day jobs also. 
but um, do what you love. That's what I tell my children. It's not about the money. It's not about anything else. You have to do what you love and all those other things will follow. And if you just live your passion, uh, um, you're going to be a happy person and theory of abundance. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say the word passion because I was just thinking sitting right here before you said the word was that one of my favorite things about you is that as, you know, not just with today's conversation, but every interaction I have with you, you radiate with passion and enthusiasm and it's very infectious and it's contagious and it, it gives me hope and, and just, you know, your warm energy is, is amazing. Yeah. So, it's apparent this you, is just like yeah. a job for mm-hmm. you. You're like excited about it and it's, it's really what you love doing. It's, that's very apparent. Yeah. So thank you for, thank you for inviting me. I like that conversation. I think my favorite great. part was the parallel. Like the, the I mean, the whole conversation was good. About gardening. Yeah, I was just like, wow, this is so <laughs> symbolic of just yeah, everything else in her life. Like I was her like, professional of course life. she likes yeah. gardening. Yeah. For me, I and grow just, cupcakes. Yeah. She grows actual plants. Yeah, I like grow cupcakes. I like how she was like, hey, not only do I like grow to grow cupcakes? people. No, I can't grow cupcakes. Okay, I can't grow are. a lot of things. <laughs> um, I can't grow plants. <laughs> I, I'm trying to grow plants. It's You're just, so much better than you know, me <laughs> I drowned one of my other plants the other day. I had to like do surgery, like emergency surgery and repot it. And I'm still not sure if it's still alive. And then I broke an arm, not an arm, a branch of pretty leaves or flowers 98 of percent of house plants would agree they do not want me as a parent <laughs> well i didn't know she liked to garden so that was pretty yeah. awesome but i liked how she goes like i don't not just like to grow people and leaders mm-hmm. and staff i like to grow things like vegetables and fruits and plants and i really like that so and, and then, when she said therapy it made yeah. me think of baking too i'm like that's just like therapy for me yeah yeah for sure so it was a great conversation and i'm so happy to hear more about child crisis arizona yeah. which is a not you know nonprofit organization i hope everyone looks into it mm-hmm. and i liked how she gave us some insight about just um what it's like to run a nonprofit organization especially with the financing and the yeah all that stuff so as a ceo she has her hands in everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so that was a great conversation it was awesome she was a great find thank you for inviting her oh, thank you for uh saying yes she's awesome <laughs> all right well where can our listeners uh find us if they're not already finding us our listeners can find us on instagram at the main dish podcast on facebook at the main dish pod and on linkedin if you search you, the main you. dish podcast you can connect with us there if you're a business feel free to reach out i am um in the works of putting out some forms so if you're interested in either advertising or sponsoring us as a podcast that's coming soon and if you're interested in being a guest or if you know someone who's interested in being a guest there is a form dropping on our instagram like the link in our bio very very soon so it should be up there by the time you hear this if it's not send me a dm and yell at me for not getting it done yet because it's like there it's just not there (laughs) it's there it's just not live right and it will be once you yell at her yeah holler (laughs) well uh once again thank you so much for joining us this week and we will chat with you next week love you love you too